Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, uh, we are bringing back our frequent guest, John Pitney, who has provided some checklists and procedures for our members. Uh, Today's topics, we will be talking about uh, what to do when you're being boarded by authorities and also general security aboard. As usual, though, before I introduce John, I want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral-level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. John Pitney, welcome back to Great Loop Radio, and thanks for joining me again today. Thank you, Kim. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Just want to start with kind of our usual disclaimer. Um, These are some checklists and procedures that John originally developed for use on his own boat and um, has since adapted those uh, and made them available to AGLCA members in our documents area. Um, These are, as I said, John's procedures for his boat, and each captain kind of should make their own decisions, and the ones on the website are provided in a Word format so that you can modify them specific to your own vessel. Uh, any thoughts to add to that whole thing, John? Uh, not really. It's, uh, I think they'll find that many of them can be used uh, without a whole lot of changes, but some of them are somewhat detailed, uh, particularly about operation of VHF equipment, and that's pretty specific to each boat's uh, type of radio they have. So. It, it, it'll be very obvious where you need to make uh, changes uh, if you're going to use those checklists. Yeah, and although those changes may be necessary, that's part of what makes these checklists so useful is that John has made them detailed to his boat, um, which in the event of an emergency, it's great to have those detailed set of instructions uh, for yourself and for your crew. Uh, the two we're covering today, though, probably don't need much modification to anyone's specific vessel. So let's start with uh, boarding by authorities. Um, first of all, John, tell us a little bit about what situations the Coast Guard or the local authorities have the right to board. Well, specifically with the Coast Guard, uh, the research that I've done uh, indicates that they have the right to board your vessel uh, anytime and without cause or without a warrant. So, um, I think everyone should keep that in mind, uh, particularly with the Coast Guard. And they will typically call your vessel on Channel 16, VHF Channel 16, prior to boarding. They may not do that, but uh, you should see, uh, uh, as a minimum, flashing lights and a siren, perhaps, if uh, they are not able to get in touch with you by radio. They're not asking permission to board. They already have that by law. So uh, all they're doing is uh, notifying you that they are coming aboard. And they'll probably give you some specific instructions uh, to the captains, such as maintain course and speed or slow down and pull off to the side of the channel 
or, you know, stop all forward way altogether. Whatever they tell you to do, go ahead and comply. I'd like to uh, read just one section here to kind of put this to bed in terms of what rights they have. Uh, the Coast Guard has the authority under Title 14 U.S. Code 89 to make inquiries, examinations, inspections, searches, seizures, and arrests upon the high seas and waters over which the United States has jurisdiction in order to enforce federal laws. The Coast Guard can inspect any craft at any time in their jurisdiction. Coast Guard boarding officers enforce federal laws and regulations. The U.S. Coast Guard does not require a warrant to conduct search, seizures, arrests over any United States waterway or high seas. The U.S. Coast Guard also has full legal law enforcement power on any land under the control of the United States as needed to complete any mission. So, and this applies to uh, trawlers, uh, cruising boats, kayaks, canoes, personal watercraft, anything that you're out on the water uh, on. So uh, it's a pretty, pretty broad uh, authority that they have. And if you have any ideas about uh, resisting uh, their desire to come aboard and inspect your boat, just be aware that the uh, ultimate fines for this uh, punishment could be 10 years in prison and a $10,000 fine. So it's probably a good idea just to go ahead and uh, do what they want. Uh, forget about any privacy concerns you might have. Uh, most, most, the vast majority of cases do not involve anything more than a pretty quick uh, safety inspection. So uh, it's the right way to go. Right, and there have been some kind of um, some debates, some controversy controversy on our forum uh, regarding being bored, and some of that I think probably uh, was surrounding local authorities. I don't really recall specifically at this time, um, and especially since some of our members do live aboard, uh, they consider it their home. So um, the question there, though, uh, for the Coast Guard, they do have the right to do so. So um, if you are being boarded what is the first thing you should do? What should you have readily available for the officers? Right. Um, certainly things that they're going to be looking at, uh, such things as your boat registration papers, and they should be readily available, uh, not uh, tucked away somewhere where only one person on board knows where they are. Certainly the captain and uh, uh, their their crew, uh, the immediate person under them, whether their spouse or whomever, should know where those papers are uh, and be able to get to them easily. They're going to be looking at uh, life jackets, make sure they're the proper size for the people who are on board, uh, that they're serviceable. Uh, also remember that inflatable life jackets typically do not count as life jackets on board unless they are actually being worn. So when the Coast Guard comes aboard and your inflatables are still in the bag, be aware that you will, they will not count those as uh, life jackets on board. Uh, so you better have some other older type uh, jackets to meet that count requirement. Um, they're going to be looking at fire extinguishers. Uh, they're going to possibly ask to get access to uh, engineering spaces and look at your bilge. 
look at your overboard discharge arrangement uh, if you have such a uh, situation on board. So uh, you might be ready if you have access to your engine room inside the salon, say underneath a rug or a table, be aware that you may have to get access to that pretty quickly. Um, those are the main things they're going to want to take a look at, mainly safety related. And while they're doing that, they're going to be watchful and, uh, you know, trying to discern whether there's any other reason to uh, look more closely at your boat. So those are the things that you should be aware of. Okay. And this is certainly can be a little bit of a nerve wracking or stressful situation. So talk us some general advice perhaps on how to handle the situation um, in terms of offering information and assistance and, you know, just kind of a general synopsis of how you should handle the boarding as it's happening. Sure. Yeah. In general, uh, there's no need to offer any more information than what they specifically ask for. Uh, don't argue with them. Don't try to be particularly helpful or make jokes about anything that they're trying to do. Uh, typically, they will ask the crew to stay in one location with one of their boarding officers, perhaps uh, in the cockpit area. And while the other officers do the search or look through your safety equipment, um, I guess the, the best thing is to just uh, be congenial. Uh, don't try to befriend them in any way. Uh, just kind of play, you know, your instincts as to how they want to treat things. Uh, I'm sure different Coast Guard members have different approaches to making these inspections, but I think it would be pretty easy to ascertain um, whether they're going to be a strictly all-business type inspection or they want to be a little friendlier and you can react uh, accordingly. But uh, typically you just uh, answer their questions, don't offer up any additional information that they don't ask for. They're, they're wanting to get on and get it done as quickly as possible. Um, all aboard should be prepared to identify themselves if you have uh, your wallets uh, available. Um, they might ask you to accompany them. They may not uh, be prepared to do that. Also, be aware that as they're approaching your boat, if you have a bunch of people running around your boat looking in lockers and drawers and look like they're kind of disorganized, that's going to kind of put them on alert and perhaps make the boarding party a little uneasy. So just be aware that you should have a lot of that stuff pretty easily accessible and not have to fumble around and uh, get it uh, if you can possibly make it accessible. So those are the kind of things that you should think about. Yeah, and just like any other law enforcement effort, um, yeah, that's great advice on how to handle it. Um, should we expect them to ask about firearms? Uh, yeah, that's probably uh, a fairly common question. And uh, the research that I've done has just been to certainly be honest about any firearms you have on board. Uh, they may want to know what type it is and where it's located. They may or may not want to actually see it. Um, also, be, t be sure to tell them that you have a flare pistol or launcher on board to meet U.S. Coast Guard requirements. They may or may not want to see that. They probably will as a part of their 
inspection routine to look at uh, signaling devices, whether it be flares or whistles or horns or whatever you might have on board. Just be aware that uh, the flares and uh, smokes and things like that do have expiration dates. I just recently had my vessel inspected. We're currently located at the top of the Ten Tom uh, River by Coast Guard Auxiliary, and it was pointed out that flares are not a requirement on inland waters, simply on uh, coastal waters and out in the open ocean. So I have a whole bunch of them, but they're all expired, but uh, no problem as long as I don't get to coastal waters. So uh, be aware of that. Um, so that's the, the basics of it. Uh, be sure you, that you do tell them about your firearms if you, if you have them on board. Okay, so that, that covers the basics of what to do when you're being boarded by authorities. And um, sounds like most of it, John, is basically uh, common sense and being respectful of the law enforcement efforts doing their job. Um, any final thoughts on that portion of today's broadcast? Well, uh, just a couple um, some things that I've looked into. Uh, the Coast Guard is always looking for boaters who are under the influence of alcohol or drugs. And just be aware that uh, operating any kind of vessel under the influence of anything is just as illegal as operating a motor vehicle on the highway. So be aware of that. And um, uh be aware that uh, they might be checking for that if they have suspicions. So that's something that the voters should keep in mind. Um, but that's, that's basically it. Uh, it. It shouldn't be a, a problem at all. Uh, we've been boating quite a few years and covered a lot of miles and have never been boarded. <laughs> and then you talk to other folks who, uh, they have just started boarding, uh, boating, and all of a sudden, you know, they're boarded uh, three times in a year. So it's uh, really kind of a mystery as to exactly uh, how this happens. But just be prepared for it and be uh, willing to uh, pretty much uh, go along with what they ask for and it shouldn't be any problems. Okay. We are going to take a quick break, play a message from one of our sponsors. When we came, come back, we will shift the topic to general security aboard. Be back in a moment. Winter Harbor Marina is located on the Oneida River 1.5 miles west of Oneida Lake in Brewerton, New York, just minutes from Syracuse International Airport. Winter Harbor offers the lowest diesel fuel and gas prices from New York City to Canada. If you find a lower posted documented price, they will match it. Their amenities include complimentary courtesy vehicle, 24-hour pay-at-the-pump fueling, dockside water and cable TV, pristine bathrooms and showers, and emergency haul-out service. For more information, call 315-676-9276 or visit www.winterharborllc.com. Winter Harbor is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Gold Looper John Pitney, who is discussing with us now uh, general security aboard. And for those of you who are members of AGLCA and follow our forum regularly, you know there was a pretty robust discussion recently 
focusing mostly on personal safety aboard and how to defend yourself. We're not going to take on that topic today. We're really talking today about more general security, um, how to secure your vessel and the things inside it, uh, more so than your personal safety. Uh, if anybody's looking for that, you can find a lot of opinions about that in the forum. Um, but John, let's jump into the general security aboard. Uh, a lot of your suggestions are similar to the types of things you do at home or anywhere else, but uh, what are some of the tips you can give us for safety aboard? Yes, Kim. Uh, a lot of this is just common sense and um, probably shouldn't even have to be talked about, but we'll go ahead and mention some things. Uh, don't leave things out in the open that are valuable. Lock them up uh, so that there's no temptation for folks uh, just casually going by to uh, pick them up. Um, if you have a safe on board, that's a good place to keep your valuable items. Um, uh, if you're going to be anchored out or on a mooring ball and take your dinghy into shore, for instance, for uh, dinner or to do some exploring, whatever, uh, leave a light on inside and any uh, intrusion alarms should be set up to work uh, if you have them. Uh, the light inside uh, would certainly make your boat look a little bit livable if you were uh, going to be out after dark. Plus, it might make it easier to get back to your boat. It's surprising how difficult it is on a moonless night to uh, pick your particular boat and anchor light out among a whole group of boats like you typically see down in uh, the Keys at Marathon. Sometimes it's fairly difficult, so you might want to leave a light or combination of lights inside that would make your boat more distinguishable among all the other lights so you can get back to it easily. Um, leave your anchor light on, of course. Uh, uh, consider when you go aboard or when you go ashore to perhaps take the minimal amount of identification and credit cards that you might need. Uh, for instance, just take one credit card and not a whole wallet full of them. Uh, these are common sense things that uh, everyone should do. If you want to take some time and kind of understand the area that you're going into, uh, if you're going to be dinging into shore, uh, there are several sites available that you can do to look at and see what kind of uh, circumstances you might find on shore. One of them is called uh, www.crimereports.com, which is a map-based description of recent crime statistics in any given location. So if you find yourself in an out-of-way uh, marina and not sure what it is like uh, to go ashore or in an anchorage, uh, you may look that up if you have Wi-Fi connectivity. So these are things that uh, you might want to do. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, and you also, uh, John, you mentioned kind of uh, using some resources available to help find out the safety at specific anchorages. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Right. <clears throat> there, in many places around the country and even uh, offshore, there are VHF and single sideband SSB cruiser nets, and these are simply uh, scheduled uh, discussions on VHF or single sideband radio 
uh, among the cruisers, uh, loopers who are in the area, typically they they form around uh, places where there are lots of cruisers. For instance, Marathon, I believe, has one down in the Keys. There's one at Marsh Harbor in the Bahamas, and I believe uh, up on the Trent Severn, there might be several in Canada. But it's a good idea to find out about those and uh, set up to listen to them. They're typically 9, 10 o'clock in the morning. There's a moderator, and they will come on uh, the radio and start talking about things happening that day, uh, whether there are any safety concerns to be aware of. These are. This is all good information that might help you uh, stay safe while you're in a, a strange location. So be sure to uh, find out about those uh, wherever you may be. They're not everywhere, but uh, where there are large concentrations of cruisers, you typically do find them. Right. You also suggest, John, uh, never make plans over the VHF radio, which which makes sense, but may not be something that people have thought of. Tell us a little bit more about that. Right. Uh, we typically, once <clears throat> excuse me, once we're in a anchor uh, anchorage or mooring field, or even tied up to a dock in a marina, sometimes. Typically, we like to get together with other cruisers, other loopers, and do things on shore. And you want to make plans. Uh, using a VHF radio is very convenient and very tempting to do to make those plans, but I, I encourage you not to if you can keep from doing it at all and use some other means. Either use your, uh, your smartphone, uh, go over and talk to them directly, maybe dingy over if somebody's close by in an anchorage or moorage and uh, talk to them directly by mouth. There's also a capability that most folks don't know about uh, on your VHF radio, the DSC, Digital Selective Calling, capability of most modern VHF radios has an encryption feature that will encrypt your voice transmission between two specific boats. And if you're traveling with someone, it might be good to get out your VHF manual and read about that and learn how to set it up, and then you would have secure communications. Anytime you're broadcasting plans to be away from the boat over VHF, just be aware that uh, the uh, bad guys can also hear that transmission probably five, seven, eight miles away from your boat and find out what your plans are and when you're not going to be there. So that's the reason to try to do it some other way. Um, you know, and I think, Don, I think so many boaters, it's such a friendly group. We kind of assume we're among friends when we're using that VHF. Um, and that's why I think some of us would not immediately think not to make plans over the VHF. And, and what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Um, AGLCA members also have access to our app that includes a meets function. So you can actually see other uh, loopers who have made themselves visible on the map. So you can see who's nearby you and connect with them. Um, by phone or, or email or text right through there. So that can be a convenient way to do that as well to avoid having others know your location or your plans. Um, you also suggest, though, John, telling a nearby boat um, when you'll be gone and when you expect to return. Uh, that also uh, seems to be pretty intuitive, um, but they can then certainly um, know if you haven't returned as expected, but also probably kind of keep an eye on things if there's somebody aboard during that time you expect to be away, right? 
Yes, that's exactly right, Kim. Um, uh, if they notice some dinghy coming up or some other boat coming up to your boat and they know that you plan to be away until after 8 o'clock and it's 5 o'clock in the afternoon, perhaps uh, they can uh, either scare them away or take pictures or whatever and get in touch with you or the authorities. But uh, absolutely, just like your neighborhood watch uh, on your land home, if there's any way that you can help each other keep track of what's going on at your boat while you're not there, that's uh, great advice. Uh-huh. Dinghy safety is also important. So uh, tell us a little bit about what some of your suggestions on securing the dinghy and its contents are. Right. Uh, <clears throat> before you take a trip in the dinghy, uh, whether you're going ashore or just going exploring, make sure you have everything that you're, you think you're going to need uh, during that journey, and particularly if you're coming back after dark. Um, on a dark night, it can be very difficult to find your way through, a, find your way safely through a uh, uh, anchorage or a mooring field and get to your boat. Uh, you should have equipped yourselves with a spotlight, some kind of navigation light, so people can see you as your dinghy is traveling through the water. Um, when you go to a strange uh, dinghy dock or someplace you're not familiar with, uh, make sure that you have means to lock up your gas can, to lock up the dinghy itself, uh, take the ignition cord with you. Um, make sure that uh, you have everything you need to be there. When you bring the dinghy back to the boat, if you anticipate using it again the next day, you may not want to put it all the way up, but might want to at least think about uh, putting the dinghy back on the davit and raising it out of the water and then securing the dinghy somehow with a uh, lock to the boat, to some part of the boat. That way people would have to make quite a bit of noise in order to get your dinghy back down in the water and get it to go away with it. Uh, make sure that your engine is actually locked to the transom as well. Um, there are ways to do that with the screws that uh, for most outboard engines. Um, also, resist the temptation to name your dinghy so that it's very obvious what boat uh, your dinghy belongs to because that way uh, people look at the dinghy dock and say, oh, there's the little red boat dinghy and right out there in the Anchorage is the big red boat, <laughs> so uh-huh. they can make uh, put two and two together and say, okay, I know those folks are probably not home, so let's go uh, pay them a visit. Um, that kind of thing is uh, problematic for sure. Uh-huh. John, people ask me all the time, uh, you know, is the Great Loop safe? Um, and, and my take on that is uh, – and a lot of your suggestions kind of follow through with this. It's just like anything else. You need to use common sense to make sure that you keep yourself safe. Um, but it's no different than the same types of risks that you would have on land just because you happen to be on a boat. Um, does that kind of hold true to your experiences on the great loop? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, you know, in fact, it's probably safer simply because you're more isolated, particularly out in an anchorage. But 
you want to take common sense measures. Uh, you know, if you were traveling in an RV or even taking a family trip by car, you'd want to take some safety precautions, uh, staying overnight someplace. Uh, same thing goes with uh, traveling by boat. Some of the safety precautions you take are somewhat unique to boating, but uh, certainly the risk is not any more uh, prevalent in boats than it would be, you know, traveling any other way. And in many cases, it's probably less risky, but it doesn't make sense not to at least take the easy precautions that you can and the common sense things and, and go ahead and try to be as safe as possible. Right. We are just about out of time. Any uh, final thoughts, John, on the topics we covered today? Uh, just uh, we talked a little bit. One of the things I mentioned my, um, in my checklist is Wi-Fi safety. If you get on board, uh, go to a, a uh, place on land where you have Wi-Fi access, hotspot access, make sure that you you practice common sense, uh, Wi-Fi safety, particularly if you're going to be doing banking or financial uh, activities there. Uh, try to make sure you close your browser, make sure your your history on your browser doesn't show your financial websites. Uh, you can set up a VPN if you have to, virtual private network. You can encrypt your email, encrypt your chat function if you need to. There's something called two-factor authentication uh, that you can use. All these things are possible to be done if you uh, must do important activity over Wi-Fi in an unsecure uh, hotspot situation. But uh, you can look those up and Google them. But a lot of lot of different opportunities to stay safe using Wi-Fi as well. All right, John Pitney, thank you again for joining me. For those of you who are looking for these uh, checklists and procedures we've described, once again, they're at the greatloop.org website. Go to the member resources and then to documents, and you'll find a folder for checklists and procedures, and there are probably 20 or so that John has provided for you in there. Thank you for listening. Uh, we appreciate you joining us. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>